Hope you're enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, we acknowledge that our freedom has come at a cost. Uh, we acknowledge that in our spiritual life. We acknowledge that in our national life. I'm grateful for both. I want to go to Genesis today and uh, go through some of the original design features that God put in place. Um, I, there's a certain amount of mystery in this passage, right? You, you try to figure it out. You hope that you can get there. But at some point, you just go, I'm going to have to embrace some of this by faith because I, I don't know how this works. Um, when I was in college, I was wrestling you know, with this, was God real or not? And then I, uh, I read a book shortly after college called uh, Griestic Evolution. And for the moment, that gave me a peace because the tension between evolution and creation was significant. And a scientist, Christian scientist had tried to blend the two. And, and um, I, it gave me a peace for the moment. And then when Sharon and I moved to San Diego... We were there 42 years ago, so this is an issue that's been long discussed, right? And uh, I had a man come in the office one day, and he was talking to me about creation, and he, you know, I told him what I'd read, and what he says, yeah, he says, I truly believe this is a young creation, and uh, his name was Henry Morris. And he was actually the first real Christian scientist that, that went after things as a young creation. And he offers me like four of his books. And I had no clue I was in the presence of greatness. You know, I'm 25 years old and it's like, I'm doing my own thing and thanks guy. You know, take the books, see you later. I got more to do today. And then later on, I went to read them. I'm going, oh, my goodness. I missed an incredible opportunity where he was opening up his life. He was ready to, to share and invest in me. And I'm going, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> later on, I was going, man, what did I do? Um, more recent years, I think Francis Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, made an incredible impact on me. And truthfully... Over the years, I've read thousands of pages on the arguments. And, and if you go online, you will find thousands of pages on both sides, right? It, that's just the reality. And at some point, you have to make a decision and say, there's a certain amount of mystery here. I would love for it to be black and white, but I just don't know. And... Uh, that said, though, for me at this point, it's almost backwards looking because I'm convinced that through the years I have had numerous encounters with the living God. And so there isn't a question whether he's real or not. I just don't know all the details of how things work out. And, and so I tend toward a young creation simply because of a theological thing. I think why would it be so old and then create humanity right at the end? 
just doesn't make sense to me. Is that a scientific argument? No, not at all. But it's, it's you know, that's kind of where I land in the moment. I don't feel obligated to die on this hill, so to speak. At, at the end of the day, I believe God created. So that said, when we walk through these passages, there are some things that are worthy of, of interest and picking up. Um, when God says, let us make humankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, he is, <laughs> as the creator, he's saying, I want them to bear our image. And I'm kind of going, why? Why would he do that? And furthermore, if he makes humanity out of the dust, it's not the physical looks that he's talking about. But he's talking about as much as anything of what's within. Because it says he breathed life into him. And so there is some connect there of the spirit. And, you know, and I'm going, when Jesus came to earth, you know, it's like humanity was given this incredible opportunity Messed it up, and yet God makes provision to send his son and, and straighten it out. And what does Jesus say? You must be born again. There must be a birth of the Spirit. So Jesus, in a sense, is saying, we can get this corrected and straightened out, but this, this is what's needed for your life. And I, I look at that, and I'm just going, well, I, I have no clue why he would choose to do that. But I'm very grateful, and I believe it as truth. That's where I'm at. So that said, it says he created them in his own image. He created male and female, which is a good verse because it says both of us are carrying the identity of God. It's, it's not a, a one or the other or one follows. It's both carry the image of God. That's the declaration in this passage. But then he blesses them and says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the birds and all of that. And you're going, he gave them a task from the very beginning. He gave them things to do. One of the things that truly worries me in this season, so to speak, is if people are able to live without productivity. It may be enough food to keep you living, and you may have the housing that you need, but your life will fall apart if you don't have some kind of purpose and direction. You know, you, you, can, you can have the outward stuff, but if you don't have some kind of purpose, then there's real trouble there. And so in our particular culture right now, there's this thing going on of, of yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll pay our way out of this and, and help people. And you're going, that doesn't work. I, I think what got me on this bent a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Scott, uh, who sells insurance, and he says, I have person after person who works their whole life, retires, and are dead within a year. And that was one of the things that, was 
part of the conversation when I pastored in a farming community. These farmers could get done with their career, and they'd be dead within a year. And you're kind of going, why? Well, they lost their purpose, and they lost their sense of direction. You're going, this really is important. This is crucial to our lives. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm going, well, at very minimum, if you're struggling, go plant something or make something or, you know, begin to put yourself into something because you were created for that, and you weren't made to just sit on your hands all day. You will continue in misery, and it's, you know, you weren't designed for that. I, uh, I was looking at this, um, be fruitful, multiply, flow of the earth. In other words, you were called to relationship with others, and you were called to productivity from the very beginning. And even as family is formed, then out of that comes community. And so through life, we begin to work and say, okay, how do I invest in these things? How do I, what does a productive life for me look like? And what does a life that's full of relationship look like? What, what do I need to be investing in so that this carries on? I... Uh, When I look at things like video games, which at times I've had to delete games off my computer. So that's, it's not like I'm Mr. Innocent in this. I, uh, you know, that idea of winning and conquering something, once you're on it, it's strong, right? But that's a low-level productivity, very low level. I mean, at the end of the day, what have you truly gained? In the same way, in our social interaction, you know, when we talk about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the rest, it's a relatively low level of community and interaction. And you have to walk through this and begin to say, what does real health look like or what would a fully productive life look like for me? What, what can I be doing that is consistent with the way that I've been made and, and what I've been designed for. Because I believe God has for each person tasks that he would have them do and sets out things that he would have them pursue. And, you know, that whether you're told it'll be great just to relax and do nothing, whether you're told that or not, it just doesn't work. And so you have to begin to sort it out and say, okay, God, what would productivity in this day look like for me? And what would community or relationship look like that would be healthy? It's a, it's a challenge because, you know, at times we're going, I just feel worn out and I feel like I'm always, well there's still a necessity of backing up and saying, well, are you doing the things that are important or is this just a season? You know, and it happens, truthfully. But I, I, I look at this and I'm going, for you parents right now, 
You want to develop health into your kids? Then you need to help assign them tasks and, in a sense, help them to discover productivity while they're young and that they can do family chores. And it's not a scourge, but really it's a blessing because it's helping them begin to discover the satisfaction of doing what they were designed for. And in the same way with relationships, I know a couple months ago I was encouraging some of the moms, you know, if your kid is selfish, then why don't you have them make sure they ask somebody a question about themselves when they come to church? It's not complicated, right? But you, and if they don't do it the first time, then you say, ask this person this question and then follow up on it. But it, it kind of gets them out of themselves and into this relationship building. And it's simple, but it, it's crucial for health in their lives that they learn these skills. And, and when you're... <laughs> I can remember as a kid, I'd get sent down in the basement to clean it. Well, that was just disaster. Not because the basement was dirty, it's just because I could not focus well enough to get it done. And it'd be noon, 1 o'clock before I'd be done rumbling and griping and complaining and maybe 20 minutes of work. But in reality... If you're running into that with a kid, it might be best to say, I want you to do this task, then this task, then this task. Break it down so they begin to understand how to do those things. It's the development of productivity in a life. Let's, let's move on. Um, God gives them, uh, Adam and Eve every um, seed-bearing plant and every tree that has fruit. In other words... Initially, they're vegetarian. Oh, I hate to read that. But it's true. And uh, they, there's an intriguing passage that Isaiah writes in, in Isaiah 11, and I think it's also in the 65th chapter. But he portrays the kingdom of the Messiah, of what's coming one day. And it says the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, the leopard and the goat will be together, and lions will eat straw, and a child will be able to put their hand into a snake's hole and not get bit. In other words, even the animal kingdom is going to be different than what we know it today. And, you know, when, in looking at that and looking ahead and saying, okay, this is... This is what they entered into. God makes all this, and he says it's, he saw that it was very good. So on the seventh day, that's when he takes his rest. He gets his work done, he takes a day off. Maybe a length of time, depending you know, how, you, how you see this. Um, it's not that you don't ever get to rest. It's just that it can't be your escape as like the grand hope. You were designed to rest some. 
And the rest of the time you were designed for productivity. And so God takes this break and he blessed the day. And then uh, it goes on and it says, to that point, there were no shrubs on the earth. Things hadn't, there hadn't been rain. Things hadn't been growing the way that we know them. It hadn't sprouted. And then it talks of making humanity. It says, he formed the man from the soil of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. The Lord planted an orchard in the east, or a garden of Eden, and there he placed the man that he had formed. So he made all the plants and all these things that are good, and then he plants a garden. Okay? It gets better. He sends the kids to work in it. He, he takes... He took man and placed him in the orchard to care for it and to maintain it. Isn't that like a parent? Well, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to drive that. I'm just having some fun with it. But he was training them in what he had called them to do. He, he defined a specific space and he helped them get started. You know, that's good parenting. So it isn't just, go take care of the garden. I planted it, and I want it to look good. But it's this investment that says, okay, I'll help them get rolling with this. And he, he sends them to care for it. So he's, he's told them, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. But then he begins to give them some instruction on how to carry that out. Pretty incredible. And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a companion. So I, I think that chapter 2 is a restatement or a, a, a development of day 6. I, I, I don't know that. I I'm not sure how that fits together. I'm going, why would he put him to sleep if he just made him? Why didn't, you know? I ask why a lot. I don't always get answers. But uh, he, he places man in the garden and tells him he can eat all but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he says that um, there's no companion for him yet. Then he makes every animal and bird and brings them to be named. So again, he's giving them a task. Part of the ruling is putting a name on each one. So he is, he is setting the stage for this to go well. And it says, man named him, and there's still no companions. So God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. While he's asleep, he took part of the man's side, closed up the place with flesh, God made a woman from the part that he had taken out of man. He brought her to man. So in other words, it's not a separate piece, but it's part of one. And so what we, the understanding of that is, is that you can't, you can't divide the one and say this is better than this because it's all one. And so there's a, a beauty to this writing that way. And uh, goes on, 
and man names her woman. And he says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife, and they become a new family. So again, part of the call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it's moving into that second level. And God's setting the stage for this. And then you have this beautiful thing that says, they're both naked, but they were not ashamed. Can you imagine a life with no shame? It's kind of a wonderful dream, right? But when Christ comes and frees us of our sin, he starts washing out the shame and cleansing us in a way that we didn't dream possible. So it's like the remaking, the preparation for more. But it's, it's one of these things where they're together, there's an innocence about their lives, there's a wonder of what's going on, and, you know, everything is in front of them. Now, we know that they took a path that brought death. But I look back at this and I'm going, you know, in, in the COVID season, we've all experienced a lot of isolation. You know, and for a few days, it was great, you know. For a few days, it was kind of wonderful to just be at home. Nope, can't come out, can't see you, sorry, <laughs> enjoying the day. But it's not meant to continue long. And what we have to acknowledge is that there are some design features about our lives that call us into productivity and community. And we are best off if we start evaluating and saying, okay, what I'm investing here is relatively low level. Is there a better way? It's like going to the gym every day. There's value physically in that, and some mental value as well, right? Because, you know, you can work off frustrations with physical exercise that just, you're going, well, how did that happen? I don't feel nearly, nearly as cranky as I did when I got here. Or you're going, I feel good in this moment. But I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it's like, okay, up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> circle, circle, circle. And you're going, is there more to life than this? And you start to evaluate and say, are there other things that I can do that will foster health, both mentally and physically, that will be of value. And it might be going to help someone. It might be taking on your own projects. And we can get twisted in it. You know, if it becomes just a, an accumulation thing, I work hard so I can get this, then it's twisted again. But it's like going back and saying, okay, what does real productivity look like in God? And what would he have me investing my time in? And how should my life be lived this way? In the same way with community, um, you know, I mentioned social media, and, you know, it's, it's ego building to have a lot of people like your thing, right? But is it real interaction? Wouldn't it be better at times just to go see 
person and make that connection and invest your time into that? You know, those are the things we wrestle through, right? Sometimes it's great to just post something or just send a message. I mean, that, I don't want to dismiss that, but I'm saying some of these are relatively low level compared to what could be. And we just have to keep evaluating and saying, okay, am I living an upper tier life, so to speak? Am I doing the things that are really of value and chasing this in the Lord? Well, anyway, that's some more thoughts out of just that first couple of chapters. May your blessing rest on these, your people. And they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk purpose, productive life full of healthy relationship. As each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.